Hey, it's Dave Broadbeck here, your friendly neighborhood statistics professor. So this is a lecture for the 22, winter 22 academic year, our term, um, and it is Psychology 3256, Advanced Univariate Statistics. We used to call this course um, Design and Analysis 1, which is clearly the stupidest course name ever had by any university for a course. So we, we changed it. Uh, so it's advanced university statistics. It's mostly just analysis of variance. Anyway, I'm starting to ramble. I hope you enjoy this. It's an advanced stats course. The chance of you enjoying it is vanishingly small, but I hope it's instructive. you're going to get nicotine from is tobacco. And cigarettes are increasingly, in, this, in, in, in North America and Western Europe, cigarettes are now under regulatory regimes. They aren't in all of the world. For the longest time, cigarettes and cigars and other tobacco products were not viewed as drugs and not viewed as food. They weren't regulated at all because tobacco companies have of money and many, many, many lawyers. So back in the 90s, up until the 90s, the FDA and Health Canada didn't regulate tobacco. It was regulated, it wasn't regulated. <laughs> it's wild, right? It literally wasn't regulated. It is now. And in the developing world, you're getting more and more of that as well. One of the issues is the big, in the developing world, you know, governments have less money to combat things like smoking, and then tobacco companies have lots of money and lots of lawyers, and they stop developing countries from regulating tobacco. Because the growth areas of the world are places like China, India, you know, and you put those two together, and you got like third of the people, like the people, all of us. I mean, it's, it's coming. These things are coming. But it's slow. It's slower than I think we'd all like. So how do you administer alcohol? I think we all know you can smoke. <laughs> you can't chew it. When I was a kid, we used to all chew tobacco because we were playing baseball. So 
when you play pickup baseball, it used to be that ball players had big wads of tobacco in their mouth. Look at an old-time baseball player from the 70s or earlier. They would have a great big ball of chewing tobacco in their mouth. And you spit it out. The tobacco, you spit out the saliva. What happens is the uh, tobacco gets released and then gets absorbed by underneath your tongue and between your cheek and your gum. Those of you who take, let's say, cannabis oil, you know what the, what the drops underneath your tongue, except in the serious. Um, same thing. Don't swallow it. If you swallow it, you just puke immediately. Seems to me that if there's a product that if you swallow it, you puke immediately, maybe you shouldn't be using the product. I'm just saying. The beautiful thing about tobacco is when you use this directly, it will kill you. By the way, I don't care if you smoke this, whatever, I just don't care. Um, but I think denying that it's a, it's a product that literally is poison and will kill you when you use it as directed is an interesting point. Um, so, the, and in fact, I remember there's a ball player, uh, Steve Carlton, there's a he used to always have a big thing of chaw in his mouth when he was pitching. He's left-handed. He's standing like three. Well, quick comeback there. The man caught it, but he swallowed his tobacco and he puked on the pitcher's mat in front of 45,000 people. Immediately. It was uh, kind of funny in its own way. Okay? So if you do swallow it, it gets metabolized pretty quickly. It's still very extremely nasally, so um, snuff, snort it. You smoke it, of course, that's the way that most of us ingested tobacco. Then nicotine vaporizes, along with the other fun things that are in cigarettes and cigars. So smoking is interesting because the behavior itself is fascinating. So this is one of those things where you put your psychologist hat on, take off your biologist hat for a second. Um, it's fascinating behavior because it's done socially, and it was even before uh, smoking became a thing you couldn't do. I, I can tell you that um, up until the 1990s here and every other university, there were signs in classrooms that said no smoking, which tells you it should tell you something. Sometimes people tried to smoke in those rooms. Would it occur to you to light a cigarette in here, even if you smoke? Any smokers in the room out of curiosity? I don't think they're a bad person to smoke. None of you smoke? That's awesome. Way to go. Or maybe I think maybe somebody back there just sort of maybe just moving your arm. But people used to, when I was an undergraduate, between classes, you would go into the hall and they would just be cigarettes everywhere. We would have smoke breaks in classes. Halfway through a class, if it was a two-hour class, the prof would say, all right, smoke them if you got them, as they used to always say. In the, you always see the movies when the sergeant tells the, the soldiers they can smoke. And then suddenly things changed in the 90s, which was good, by the way. Not complaining. There's something to be said for sitting in a meeting and having a cigarette. Because when you finish making the point, you butt out a cigarette, there's no fun back there. And that's what I feel. People look at you like, well, he must, he must have meant that because he just butted out a cigarette. 
One of the interesting things here is that, of course, as you probably know, it's a growth your breath in your lungs. So you inhale the smoke. Right? Okay. Going out. But it's also inhaled in your, it's absorbed in your mouth. So if you smoke a cigar, which you're supposed to inhale, um, you blow it out, you're still going to get some of the pipe, right? The amount of nicotine to your brain depends on the smoking method, basically. It's a quicker hit with your putting your lungs. going immediately through your bloodstream. That's not happening quite as quickly when you're going from, when you're going to your You're still getting nicotine in your Now there are, one of the interesting things here is that there's one kind of cigarette that actually does lower the amount of crap you get in your body. Um, they don't really sell them anymore, uh, which is good because maybe people Think that smoking was safe, which it isn't safe. So I said, well, these are safer. Instead of us shooting you and throwing knives at you, we're just shooting you. So it's, it's, it's not, it still isn't safe. But ultralight cigarettes were a thing that don't exist anymore, and they had little vents in the filter. Okay, so the filter, for those of you that never smoked, you're going to know this. I can draw a picture here. So if uh, That's the cigarette, right? There's the filter, right here. There were little vents, little vents. That smoke would come out of them. So you actually are getting less cigarette, sorry, less smoke. The problem is what people would do typically, so when they would test with tobacco companies, of course, would test the, um, the amount of nicotine and tar and stuff that you're getting in your lungs with this one package. They used a, um, in essence, it was a syringe. It would be attached to here, and it would just suck the smoke. The problem is, people who smoke ultralight cigarettes, what they would do is they would either put their fingers right here, or put their put their lips on it, so they put the whole filter in their mouth. Um, a friend of mine did some uh, some smoking research, uh, smoking behavior research, and found, in fact was interviewing people and found a guy who carried a roll of tape with him and would put tape on his cigarettes. So the idea here was he was buying ultralight cigarettes thinking they were somehow safer, except he was just eating the one measure that actually did make them a tiny bit safer. This is why they aren't sold anymore, because they actually don't do anything. They just convince people everything's fine. So ultralight cigarettes are an actual thing that probably would have worked, but you'd have to be walking around saying, don't do that, don't do it like that, not like that, like that. Also, these are still horrible. So they really weren't any safer. There's also gum, which is the nicotine gum, which again, you don't swallow, oh my god. It's so hard not to swallow spit when you're gum, which kind of can't. Uh, the same thing with the, the patch goes into your skin. Yep. Is there a quick question yeah, about please. the ultralights? So yeah. would, would the smokers be actually be able to tell like, if there's a difference? Oh yeah. Oh really? shit, yeah. You never smoke, right? Not cigarettes, yeah. Yeah. 
products weren't regulated, there was a lot of things put into cigarettes and, and, and other tobacco products. Now they are regulated, I'd be very surprised if that happened. I'd also not be surprised if that happened. I, I, I thought I heard somewhere that they did that where they open up like little wounds in your gums so that the tobacco can't really yeah, be. Which not surprising. Though I don't think it's entirely, it wouldn't be entirely necessary because the gum works. Like nicotine gum is up. It's a weird thing because all you do is you put the gum in your mouth and when you feel a craving, and if you've never craved nicotine before, you have no idea what it's like. It's like being thirsty and hungry and every other want you've had in your life rolled into one and you can get rid of it like this. And it's gone. For 45 seconds. They have, you know. Um, and the gum works the same way as you can go to meetings in New Plan um, when I was at the car fair and of course we smoked so we put all of us in our full sight department all the time. We were described as an aging biker gang. We would go to the student pub before meetings, there four or five pints, attend these meetings. Um, we weren't drunk, we just had to pee, so we wouldn't say anything stupid. You gotta get in there quickly. My friend Duncan would always throw the aging Duncan across the, the room. Smoke? receptors in the following parts of your body or your brain. The cortex, the nasal ganglia, the ventral tegmental area, and the nucleus accumbens. Oh, you mean the reward system? <laughs> the ventral tegmental area and the reward system, the only thing we're missing here is the medial forebrain bundle, which is right next to the nasal ganglia. It's basically, it's, it's almost as if nicotine evolved to make people smoke cigarettes. It's like tobacco evolved just so that would happen. Why? So we have these nicotonic, recept nicotonic receptors, which are called, as it says here, NACHR, they're nicotine acetylcholine, uh, nicotonic acetylcholine receptors. Okay, the effects of nicotine. There's effects in your peripheral nervous system 
which you get tremors. You can, all, you can tell when somebody's a smoker. smoking when I could hear myself breathing. I thought, I don't think you're supposed to be able to hear yourself breathing. I don't think you're supposed to be able to hear your own chest like, <laughs> maybe stop sucking on things that are on fire. Um, there is just generally inhibition. So that's these odd because this is a but it's basically uh, disinhibition. So it's inhibiting inhibition. That's all the tremors are. It's just harder to stop yourself from moving. It's small movement. And you get constriction of blood vessels. Another way you can tell if people smoke, especially if they're extremities, you can tell right away even if they don't have yellow fingers from nicotine. You shake somebody's hand, their hand's cold, it's a good chance they smoke. You give an episode of Sherlock, smoker because when he shakes their hand and the person keeps quitting smoking and says, I'll, 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 I'll happily lick your hands because they're squeezing and they lick hands on their fingers. It is really filthy and gross. Also, it's awesome if you're cool, cool and grown up. I'm kidding. Some of these, I'm, I'm joking. I don't know what these actions I'm doing signify. Because I mean, tobacco companies are evil, but I didn't think cartoonishly evil. <laughs> you know, it's like, thank you for letting me know that. Well, I'll fill in the next, next, in a couple of years when I do this, the next portion of the time, I'll say, people say that actually, of course, the central nervous system effects too, and these are the ones that we know more about. The reward system, obviously, it feels good. There's got to be a reason people suck smoke into their lungs. And those of you um, who smoke other things will know that, you know, uh, cannabis, know that, you know, the, the reason you suck on, that, uh, uh, on a joint or a bong or a one hitter, let's go on, I'm older than you, I guarantee you I smoke more weed than you, more than twice your age, I've smoked more weed than you. It's because it feels good. Apart from your cough, does it feel good? <laughs> But that just feels good, doesn't it? It's the reward system, right? Um, you also get the release of norepinephrine, epinephrine, dopamine, and serotonin, uh, just generally in the, in the central nervous system. So it's a stimulant. It's just it's a straight up stimulant, right? Questions? Anybody have anything? Oh yeah, please. smoking cigarettes. Chewing gum is way safer. All these things are anything oral. So 
right? So that's uh, so chewing tobacco or gum, uh, vaping. Vaping's pretty similar. We can still vaporize nicotine. It's way safer to smoke a cigarette. There's no argument. I didn't say it's good for you. I said it's way safer. And if you want to look at a, a pr pr uh, an approach of harm reduction, which is a pretty reasonable approach when people are drug taking, the idea is to do with alcohol. We don't drink. Well, you can't drink here. So if we're going morning in my stats class my computer wouldn't connect to the printer or the, to the projector. Couldn't use the glass on the iPad. But you know, we don't like to drive drunk, right? You're not supposed to get high until you're, until you're older and all the same thing and you'll could you drive, all these things. So, so we really should be doing this, I think, with tobacco. We can eventually ban it, I think, and it will happen. Smoking is going to go away. Uh, the UK, for example, has committed to not, there's not going to be any tobacco in the United Kingdom by 2030. That's only eight years ago. It will happen. But a good replacement is vaping. To the point where in the UK, in hospitals, they sell, they have vape shops. It's a good idea. It stops people from smoking in hospitals or around hospitals. I find it very odd to walk into a hospital and see a bunch of doctors and nurses sucking on cigarettes. Like, guys, I know it's odd stress job, but you're there. So if you ever ride your bike or run on the trail, there's a place right there where all the people go to smoke. I call it Nicotine Alley, and I'm on my bike. I actually hold my breath as I'm riding. Yes? Sorry, I have another question. No, it's fine. You know the obvious risk associated with smoking while you're on oxygen, right? Theoretically, you should not do it. Well, yeah. Well, when you're on oxygen, that usually means you aren't getting enough oxygen. Yeah. So interfering, interfering with oxygen by having something else go into your bloodstream is probably not a good idea anyway. But it's I'm not saying that's a good idea. I think people, some people do that. Yeah, some people do it. It's not as dangerous because you're not using an open flame. Yeah. The big danger there is an open flame and oxygen. Yeah. How that can you know, improve hormone one. Why? But oh yeah, I mean, there's certain things. Yeah, my grandfather, oxygen, he actually stopped smoking, which is amazing. I, I, I can't think of him without a cigarette. So it's a stimulant, but you must have heard people say they need a cigarette to calm down. Right? We've all heard that. We've all heard people say, I'm really nervous, I need a cigarette. folks, maybe it's friends of yours, apparently no one in here smokes, which I think is amazing. Like, I'm completely blown away by that. But people do smoke because they're, they're nervous. And it calms them down. And believe me, I can attest to this. Uh, when I quit, it's quite a while ago, but I was putting a barbecue together, which is the most stressful thing a human can do. It's worse than combat. And I was putting this barbecue together, and I was frustrated, and I quit. I quit for probably maybe what, three months. I guess. And I stood up, and my wife said, "Where are you going?" I said, "Oh, I'm going to the corner store to buy cigarettes." And she said, "No, you're not." I said, "Okay." Well, I'm going to do something else that isn't this for a while. And I believe her. She said, "Why don't you go Call of Duty play video games?" That's an excellent idea. So I put my Call of Duty Modern Warfare on super. 
of an anxious, nervous customer. Cigarette coming out. It's a stimulant. You never hear people say, oh, I'll tell you, I'm really nervous. I'm just a rail of cocaine would be perfect right now. <laughs> just, that's not something people say. It's funny, no one gets the cigarette reference. It's the cocaine. Everyone's like, yeah, cocaine, sure, we all do coke. <laughs> Interesting group. But is it the actual act of smoking? By the way, this has a name. It's called Nesbitt's Paradox, which is bizarre. Some guy named Nesbitt saw a thing and said, well, I'm going to name it after myself. So the next time it's, it's raining and it's sunny, a sun shower, that's called Broadbeck's Paradox. They just freaking named it. Anyway, so Nesbitt, which I think this guy went to high school with, Tom Nesbitt, and he did think he thought a lot of things. But I hope he's not listening to the podcast. Hey, Nesbitt. Anyway, is it the act of smoking? Because um, it's, it's a whole ritualistic thing. Does that distract you from being pissed off, nervous, whatever? Maybe? Is it withdrawal? Is it actually just getting rid of withdrawal symptoms? It might be partially that, right? That makes sense. Because the withdrawal symptoms from nicotine are extremely annoying. And one of them is this. Maybe it's that there are nicotine receptors in the GABA system. Uh, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> actually, it's probably all these things. But there actually are nicotine receptors in the GABA system, which, and of course, you know GABA slows it down. So it actually can be act as a positive GABA modulator and a signal at the same time. It's a weird drug. I remember when this was discovered, it was the weirdest thing. And I, I, I mistakenly went to a talk. This is a really different talk. I went to this one, and this guy's like, so I'm going to talk today about my discovery of nicotine receptors in the GABA system. What? Where am I in this talk? Wait a second. Well, my friend I was with said, I think we're in the wrong talk. I have some notes to take. All these things are true. And smoking actually improves performance on cognitive tasks in smokers. Not in non-smokers, so you don't say, you know, the one thing that I didn't do too well in that first test, so Dave says I need to take up smoking. <laughs> but if you are a smoker, you'd be better on cognitive tasks when you're smoking. And believe me, when I was a smoker in graduate school, there's nothing better than giving a talk and having a cigarette at the same time. Because it's like, you get to think. First of all, you can just have a cigarette, have a haul of a cigarette while you're giving your answer with your question. Secondly, I don't know all the other ideas you've ever had, but it's not a good one. <laughs> it's not a good one. Perhaps you're full of really bad ideas, like trying to take over the capital city of a G7 country because you are afraid of masks. Um, I'm sorry, was that political? Yeah, exactly. Please, 
kids don't smoke. <laughs> and it increases spontaneous motor activity in rats to shoot the surprises. It's a stimulant. It's going to make them run around. Now you reject it. You all make like getting little cigarettes and rats. As cool as that would be. If I was wealthy, like extremely wealthy, I would actually fund research to see if you could rats and smoke little cigarettes. Probably wouldn't do that, but I probably think about doing it. And it suppresses offering behavior. We talked, I talked, last time when we talked, last time when it was a lecture, uh, I guess the, the final one about getting rats into our pictures. No, caffeine. I talked about suppression and how there's learned behavior. And then you can suppress it by giving a stimulus that's associated with fear. So let's say a light that's driven strong. So actually, this it, nicotine itself will suppress operative behavior. So an animal's learned to push a bar to get food. And then its rate of bar pressing goes downward due to nicotine. I go back. know what the mechanism is there. The stuff I've read uh, doesn't know what the mechanism is there either. Do you, do you think that the stimulus like dopamine being increased in the system because the current paper before that said that increased dopamine levels can cause like fear reactions? Yes, that's a possibility. There's a lot of things it could be. Could just be that distraction from the stimulating effect. There's all kinds of things it could be, but it so it suppresses behavior that the behavior comes back. I mean, an easy thing to think of here, I like, I like to direct, uh, is it could be, it could simply just be a distraction from the animal. Rats don't have great mental life like we do, they have mental life. Oh, clearly great animals have mental life still. Here's this is from a paper, I want to make sure I get this right so I can check my notes. So this is actually from a paper, uh, this is a results from a paper by Kimmy and Marku, 2005. So this is one of the first papers that talked about the effects that nicotine has on other drugs, on taking from other drugs. Um, and it's doing it in a roundabout way. But what happens here is that this is, a, this is rate of bar pressing to get a reward. Okay, that's what we're measuring here. This is in rats, bar pressing to get a reward. Okay. Now what's happened here is they're given, um, I want to get the name right here, so it's dihydroxy beta, and I can't put the final word, something with an E. <laughs> it's a nicotine antagonist. And there's, this is direct brain stimulation. So it's, it's brain stimulation directly to the, um, when they push a bar, they get a direct brain stimulation to the ventral tegmentum. Okay. You block, oh, and they've also been trained that um, they've been given nicotine. So they, they get a, a pairing of a light with nicotine. Then we give them this, the block, and the cue, the light that says, you're basically having a cigarette, you're having a smoke, you're having some nicotine. 
and this is over a few days, they respond more and more and more and more. What, the, what we're doing here is we're putting them in nicotine withdrawal. When I say we, it's these, these two guys. They're putting them in nicotine because they're giving them the things that would make basically give them a craving. That's the situation, right? The, in this, this case, a light that was paired with nicotine. And then what you do is you also give them a nicotine antagonist. So what you're doing is what happens with smokers when they get into a situation when they stop smoking, they aren't smoking anymore, but they're getting all the cues saying, you should smoke now, you should smoke now. So that what the rats are getting is, you should be getting nicotine right now. But they're not, because they're getting the nicotine agonist. Look what happens later. No more nicotine antagonists. They respond more. They ask for more brain stimulation. This shows us that oftentimes what smokers do when they quit is they get in interested in other drugs. And I'm not saying, I'm not, I don't mean heroin. But people drink more, uh, people who smoke drink more alcohol. People who smoke drink more coffee. And they need more to get the same fix. This is the idea here. Once you've basically made them, quote, quit here by giving them the antagonist, they respond even more. They need more to get the same level of stimulation. That's very important. We make something similar enough that it binds to those receptors. Yeah, yeah. One of the things you can always figure out is that if the receptors exist in the nervous system, we already make something similar enough. And this is those acetylcholine, um, nicotonic acetylcholine receptors. So withdrawal from Nicotine is nasty, and it's easily fixed. That's one of the real insidious things about tobacco, generally, about nicotine, about nicotine tobacco, is that it's really easy to get rid of your withdrawal symptoms. You just take, you light a cigarette and smoke it. And in fact, you're not going to do the whole thing. You've, you've probably seen people standing outside of buildings. They're so happy. Just so good. So your heart rate goes up, your appetite uh, increases. Uh, most people do. The average weight gain when people quit smoking is between about 5 and 15 kilos. But most people don't gain weight when they quit smoking, which should tell you some people gain a lot of Oh, that's, yeah. I, I, did I say increase? Yeah, decrease. Right. I say your heart rate increases when you're going to withdraw from things like this. Thanks, Thurlow. Can't concentrate. You're getting your food. Whoops. 
uh, your sleep gets disrupted. This is something that's very uh, unpleasant, is the fact that, um, so you can see, these are all big things. It, it's very unpleasant to not get enough REM sleep, for example. And this, these withdrawal symptoms last a long time. Weeks, months, just general anger. Uh, people will, will have symptoms that look like depression. So they'll feel worthless, they feel like there's no reason to get out of bed in the morning, that kind of thing. So you can see how insidious this, this drug is because those are not pleasant things and it's easy to it's easy to fix. Super easy to fix. Take a haul off a cigarette. Cravings are probably the longest are, are the longest lasting thing. Um, there are documented cases of cravings lasting 13 years is the longest I've seen. After quitting. And after really quitting, not somebody who just goes outside and quickly smokes and takes their family doesn't know they're smoking. Their family knows they're smoking. It's hard to miss. The last time I had a craving for a cigarette was um, about three weeks ago. I quit smoking when you guys were situation you can get in or if something new some, some sensory stimulus I, I smell old coffee and old coffee and cigarettes went together when I went back to graduate school graduate school where either you start drinking too much coffee you, people always say well you either start with too much coffee you start smoking or start drinking too much and some of us go yeah all the, all of the above please it's amazing I got out of my 20s fascinating because there's a daily pattern in the smoke um, and part of this comes from advertising cigarette because they would advertise the, the, the enjoyment of having a cigarette after having a meal so after having your lunch after having your dinner I don't remember being cigarette ads on TV but I remember being a lot of it in the magazine Smokers smoke with other smokers. That isn't just because now you have to be on the other side of the building, the other side of the street, off campus, whatever. Smokers always smoke with other smokers. Even if it was where it was completely okay to smoke in an office, people would take smoke breaks together. It's the same thing with coffee. It's a very social, ritualistic thing. And this is one of the things that makes it hard. I used to say that one of the nice things about smoking was I got to meet people I never would have met. Like you go outside, it's like, oh, you smoke, I smoke, let's smoke together. And as I mentioned, we talked about the, the rat data. 
It's also the case that just generally smokers are more likely to do other drugs than non-smokers. This is more likely to do with just having a risk-taking personality disease. As far as the psychological limit, we also can take a look and see that the fact that they need more stimulation to get a base level of um, reinforcement. Correlates negatively with socioeconomic status, the less money you have, the less education you have, et cetera, et cetera, the more likely you are to be a smoker. Okay, so it correlates negatively with socioeconomic status. Uh, this is true of all the drugs that are fun. And cigarettes actually are fun, they feel good. When you get past the coughing, it feels good to smoke. It does. But when you're higher socioeconomic status, you have other options for reinforcement, right? Uh, for older people, this is people past teenagers, what I'm saying, so all of us in the room. Demand is pretty inelastic. Um, it's pretty elastic for kids because kids don't have money in their pockets. Does anybody know how much cigarettes cost? I just don't know. Like $25 a pack? No, I mean about a pack. Oh, like $5, $6 a pack. It's normal. It's normal. $5, $6 and a cat is like $10 to $15 a pack. Somebody Google it. Well, what, what, what do I like Google it when someone else, all you people have to do is just how much does a pack of cigarettes cost in Ontario? Is it no one's ordered there? Yeah, but that's again, that's the tax free. It's not tax free, there's different taxes. No. I think it's probably more than 15 bucks for a pack of 20 or 25. So you could stop kids because kids don't have 15, 18, 20 bucks in their pocket all day. 15? Well, 15? Let's go with that. If you're me, and I still smoke, I, I don't want to ever think about how much money I spend. But I can afford it. It's harder when you're 12. People, the people titrate their smoking, they do. So in fact, if you give smokers, and people do do smoking research, it's not easy to do anymore because it's oftentimes the case that people can't smoke inside. So there's a friend who asked to read the smoking research and he's got a lab that has a completely separate ventilation system for the rest of the whole building. And people can come in there and smoke. He doesn't smoke right See, if I smoke still, and I had that, that's, I would do that just so I can replace the smoke with that. Still safe. But, um, so people, you, you give, give them a small number of cigarettes, they'll, they'll space it up. People will titrate their dose. Right? This is the thing people do. They'll also titrate the way their dose of a single cigarette. So they'll suck harder or not as hard, like I was talking about before. The people use it as a psychological tool. They do. Pretty sure not everybody does, but probably. When I say a psychological tool, do, would I need to concentrate? Do I smoke? Again, if I smoke, yes. So people use it basically as a psychological tool. The idea of the people enjoying the, the hit of nicotine. So they get a thing what's called a bolus. It's a, a big 
bunch of stuff in your mouth and then suck it in. Yes. So the whole act of this, and then because it happens so quickly, the reinforcement happens so quickly, it's a very hard thing to stop. It's not just the withdrawal symptoms, that can very reinforce it and they, they can be, when you get that, get off a cigarette, in seconds it's in your reward system. It kills you, bang. Very fast. So quitting smoking. Um, most people quit on their own. Most people don't quit with anything other than um, quote, willpower. Uh, most people take, the average smoker takes eight times before the quitting actually sticks. And speaking from experience, there were times when I quit for years. And then I have something that pisses me off and I would go back in. And as I'm doing it, I'm thinking, okay, I'm just gonna have one and throw this back. And then you get to the mechanics of the one, you go, there's only 19 left. I shouldn't throw these away. That would be environmentally ridiculous. Next thing you know, it's like, well, tomorrow I'll just buy one more pack. <laughs> so typically, but ran eight times for the average person. Behavioral therapy works. This is the idea of cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, the way I quit smoking, in fact, was I used this on myself. I paired a stimulus with a cigarette. So that stimulus eventually, what I did, I, I planned my cold quitting of smoking six months in advance and I didn't tell anybody I was doing it. So every single time I went to have a cigarette, before I had one, I would eat a Fisherman's Friends coffee. Because they're very strong and they breathe the same flavor. And you ask around here to some well, people in apartments, it used to be that I would just all but for years, I just kept it going. But I basically used it. I, I do know some things about psychology, so what I did is paired this with that, and eventually, when I quit smoking, I just would leave the cough drops. Leave the cough drops, I would even go. The weird thing is, even just that deep breathing is something most smokers hadn't done without a cigarette since they started smoking. So even just taking a deep breath. And 95. And that can help. Substitution works. Uh, so nicotine substitution, this is basically, you go from, from tobacco to something, well, you go from cigarettes to something like vaping, something like gum, whatever. Self-monitoring is extremely effective. One of the things you can do is just keep track of how many cigarettes you smoke each day. And then watch the curve drop, which is extremely rewarding. In fact, this is something you can do for almost any kind of behavior you either want to get rid of or maintain. Right? If you think you're not studying enough, start writing down how many hours you study for each class. And then watch, if you watch the curve go up each day, So cigarettes are bad for you, as you probably know, because lung disease, lung cancer, all kinds of cancers, and not just from smoking cigarettes, also from chewing tobacco, you get esophageal cancer, you get throat cancer, uh, you get uh, cancer, all kinds of it in your mouth. Uh, birth defects in babies. Babies have lower birth weights. Uh, is that the next thing? It's not. The babies that have lower birth weights than mothers smoke. 
the heart disease, the carbon monoxide, by the way, when you're, you're actually literally sucking carbon monoxide into your body. Among all the other things, carbon monoxide. Makes your heart work harder, so it's not good for you. And, and you know, it's not like it's exercise. Because I've heard people say, well, what about when you're running your heart? So let's talk a little bit about secondhand smoke because, and by the way, I'm all for all the rules and regulations about secondhand smoke. Uh, so I can't go off of that. I'm mostly for it because it's gross. So it, this is all started out in 1988. Now it's a long time ago and things, there's a lot more data in it. But in 1988, there was this study by the World Health Organization looked at 650 lung cancer patients versus 1,542 healthy patients and looked at their risk ratios for getting, uh, for being uh, smokers or non-smokers, and you can see they're actually exactly the same. But they did find that people that had lung cancer had smokers in the house or not, or at work. But note that this actually can drop below zero. Hmm. That's what sparked it. And it happened in three, four years. And eventually, you know, restaurants and everything. And again, I'm all for it, but please don't misunderstand me. The EPA in the States, of course, then ran a couple of studies. They, at the time, only had 11 studies. And it wasn't conclusive. And everybody was like, no, oh, I don't know, man. This seems like a, a threat to my freedom. I think I'll go take over the Capitol and scream. Because I can't smoke inside. That's my dumb guy. So there were a lot of problems with a lot of these studies. The issue is, these aren't the issues anymore, right? Those were true then. But I'll say this, this is the other issue you'll hear people say. It isn't a 0.05, remember the you know, 0.05 level of significance? It's not a 0.05, it's not significant, except every single secondhand smoke study goes in the same direction, it's bad for you. None of them say, yeah, it's good for you. <laughs> and none of them even say, eh. They all say it's bad. They just don't go to 0.05. If every study ever done goes in exactly the same direction, just because it doesn't reach the level of significance you like, it's probably bad for you. Always the same direction. This actually tells us more about how getting really worked up about Statistical significance shouldn't be our concern in science. We should stop looking at the 0.05 level of significance, and instead we should say, what's actually happening? It's not this clear thing that it's going to give everybody lung cancer. It's not like actually first-hand smoke. But it's really bad. It just isn't as bad as people have made it out to be. But it is bad. I'm not trying to say there should be no laws and there should be no, it's silly. I do wonder about laws about outside when there's, it's not an entrance to a building. Like, I don't like riding my bike and the person in front of me on their hub trail is smoking a cigarette, but you know what? It's not, I live in a steel town. It's not really affecting my lungs these days. Stop it. 
podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want. Okay. Um, 
Also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.